Hello, Lime Ninjas. This is Lime Ninja Radio, where we help you learn to navigate confidently through your own personal Lime journey. Everybody's journey is different, and a cookie-cutter approach just doesn't work for Lyme disease. You need ninja skills. I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 99 with Lyme Ninja, Melina Coogan. Also with us in the studio is our certified show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hi, and in this episode, you will be learning three things. Number one, a reminder of why it's important to be your own advocate when dealing with doctors. Number two, the role that community support has in dealing with chronic Lyme, uh, chronic disease. And number three, Melina's hack for alleviating her Lyme symptoms. But first, we have some important business to take care of. I would like to remind everybody that we are changing our publishing date to Tuesday morning. Yes, starting with episode number 100. So the next episode next week, we won't be out Sunday. So if you look for us then, we won't be there, but we will be out Tuesday. We're trying to streamline our production back here, and I was just losing most of my Sunday to production, so trying to spread it out over a couple more days. Yes, and also we have a contest coming up Woo-hoo! starting next week, so keep an eye no, no, out. No, 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 no. It's starting Monday. Oh, it's starting Monday. Yeah, it's starting tomorrow. So this is coming oh. out on Sunday, so it's starting out Monday. So okay. that technically is next week, but it's... <laughs> Like now. (laughs) Only technically. Yeah. So keep an eye out on Facebook. Winners will be announced on the 23rd. And uh, go to LimeNinjaRadio.com front slash contest for more details. We have some great prizes. An autographed copy of Why Can't Get Better from Dr. Horowitz. We have some nutritional counseling sessions you can do over the phone or Skype with Bob Miller with Brenda Cosentino and with some other folks. It's really a lot of fun. We also have a couple products. We have some of the Megaspore probiotic that was donated by Dr. Bain. Dr. Jernigan has donated some of her tinctures. So it's really, there's some great stuff there. There'll be one winner for each prize. We've got a total, I think, of eight prizes at this point. So we may add more as the contest goes on. So just go there. Fill in the information. We just basically need to email so we get in touch with you and your name so we can say hello. And that's it. So, again, LimeNinjaRadio.com forward slash contest. All right. But getting back to our interview and this episode, I'm excited about this episode and this interview because Melina has a lot of really good things going for her that I think are really inspiring. Yep. It's a fun, fun interview. I really enjoyed talking to her. And she has a lot of really cool techniques that she's sort of developed and that are unique. And we get into that in there. I think you're going to want to hear about them and uh, take advantage of them if you can. And just before we get to today's interview, I want to make sure that you have gone over to LimeNinjaRadio.com and downloaded our Brain Fog Breathing Cheat Sheet. If you haven't done that yet, just go over to LimeNinjaRadio.com front slash Brain Fog and sign up to get the cheat sheet. Okay, Aurora, tell us a little bit more about today's guest, Melina Coogan. All right. Melina Coogan grew up in New York and was an active outdoors woman. She had strange symptoms for several years, such as tingling all over her body and shooting pains. But about a year ago, her symptoms became much more severe with a spotted rash that grew from her feet to her face in the course of a day and a urinary tract disorder that left her unable to move. Online research led her to discover Lyme disease, and when she went to the doctors for a test, she was positive. Today, she is receiving treatment from a Lyme literate doctor, as well as using other alternative therapies, and documents her experience with Lyme disease on her blog, The Wilder Coast. Thanks, Aurora. And I think you transplanted her from Vermont to New York. She grew up in Vermont. She did grow grow up in Vermont. Yeah, you said New York. Did I? Yeah, you've got New York on the brain. That's where I'm you sorry. grew up. <laughs> no worries. Let me, let me redo it then. Yep. And the other thing, if you want to 
get hold of the details of Melina's blog and the alternative therapies that she's talking about there. We'll have all that information on the show notes. So just go over to LimeNinjaRadio.com and click on her interview and you'll get all that info. All right, Aurora, here is our interview with Lime Ninja Melina Coogan. Hi, Melina. This is McKay Rippey from Lime Ninja Radio. Hey, McKay. I'm so happy to talk to you. So am I. So let's, you've got a lot going on. You are a prolific writer. I was cruising through your blog and, you know, some blog posts are, you know, 250, 350 words and yours are all epic. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And amazing photography. Who does the photography? Oh, that's all me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's me and my amazing smartphone. You're, really? Those are all just phone photos? The the vast majority of them, yeah. That's incredible. Boy, technology has changed so much. Oh, yeah. So tell us about your Lyme story. Where would you get it? How long ago? Yeah. Well, I wish I could tell you both those things. It would make things quite easier for me. But... um I believe I have been infected. There's one theory that I've been infected for about nine years. And um, another that maybe it was just about three years ago. And um, But I've only really been fully tortured by Lyme disease for the last year. So I grew up in Vermont. So it's really hard for me to pinpoint a time when I was in like a tick endemic area because I always was. I mean, there was never a day that I wasn't roaming around in the woods and the tall grasses in Vermont, you know, my whole life. And I've had some kind of strange symptoms for the last 10 years. And my dog, who's always been by my side, she had full on Lyme about 10 years ago. So we could have been infected around the same time. That's what we're thinking, but it's just a guess. Sounds absolutely plausible, right? So what were your weird symptoms? Obviously it wasn't enough to really get you to hunt it down, but, obviously enough to bother you. Yeah, well, um, it was enough to get me to a neurologist who just waved me away. Oh, okay. Um, so it was bad. And probably, <laughs> well, I had, um, let's see, the, the worst that I can remember was, had a lot of, like, I forget the word, but I had a lot of tingling all over the place. Yeah. And at one point, like after a very stressful occasion at work, I had six months of tingling. I had nothing. It did not go away. Not in my sleep. Never. And I was a teacher at the time. So I'd be teaching and just very aware that oh, my left leg is completely tingling right now. It's in my right leg. That's how fast it moves. Wow. And that, that lasted for a full six months. And the neurologist was like, whatever, that's nothing. <laughs> um, <laughs> nothing and for then, you. Yeah, it's nothing for you. It was, you know, and. And then since then, I, it's, it's kind of hard because I hear all these stories of people who have been crippled from Lyme disease, um, the kind of the minute they were bit. And for me, I had this incredibly, incredibly active life, like, especially looking back, I'm like, how did I do all that? Like I was always up, you know, dawn till dusk doing like, I really love outdoor activities, like extreme sports. And so I would do all that. I just thought it was normal to always have pain somewhere or always have something wrong that I was going to the doctor for, you know. And I just kind of thought it was it was normal that we all had mysterious shooting pains or mysterious heart palpitations or tingling, you know. And no one took me seriously, so I didn't really worry, I guess, too much until the week after I got married, and then I got really sick. No kidding. The, yep, great the, timing. The stress, the stress of the the ceremony finally caught up, huh? I guess even, so. But... Even happy stress. I don't. I don't mean stress like, oh my god, my you know, my wedding is a yeah, you know, nightmare bride or anything. Yeah. But just even happy, happy things are can be very stressful on the adrenals. Oh yeah, I mean, before I had to quit, um, I was kind of in the nursing school track, and we learned all about how stress is stress, even if it's joyful stress. Yeah, and very good. I don't know if that was it or what what was going on, but I got, that's when it all hit about a year ago. Wow. And then, so what, what were your symptoms then? What, what happened? Yeah. Well, so there was a number of symptoms and, uh, you know, I could tell you a hundred, but I'll tell you the more interesting ones. 
I developed interstitial cystitis. Okay. And I don't know if you've heard of that. I think I've heard actually a couple people on your show discuss it, but it's an extremely painful, I mean like 10 out of 10 pain, extremely painful um, disorder of the urinary tract. And that had me in bed or I, I call myself bath bound because I could not get out of a bath. The pain was just extraordinary. Hmm. Um, and so that, that's kind of what led me to the Lyme diagnosis or myself to understand that I had Lyme. It was a long time before a doctor would, would understand that. Um, but so that was going on. And, and then one day I just woke up with a, a spotted rash, not a bullseye, but a spotted rash that I just watched creep all the way up from my foot all the way up to my face. And I watched it, you know, go up. And how did it take and, a day? Did it take hours? How quick is this progression? Um, it took a, it took probably a day. I mean, I, I noticed it one day in the shower and then woke up the next day and it was already on my face. And by that point I went to, I think a couple, Oh, I think I had, I had back pain. I had this back injury. I couldn't really remember, but people kept saying, well, you played, you know, ultimate frisbee for 10 years. Maybe you just have a bad back, but you shouldn't be going to the chiropractor every day. The pain shouldn't be this bad. It doesn't really make sense, but you know, whatever. So there was a bunch of other stuff going on, but by the time the rash came and there was a couple other things, I was like, this is, I mean, what is going on? So I remember going to a primary care physician with the rash and him looking at me and saying, you're the healthiest person I've seen all week. <laughs> really cheerful <laughs> like that. I was like, oh man, low bar set for your patients. Yeah. But, and then the, the thing that drove, that really started to, well, that really was driving me insane was, and I'm interested to see, to see if you've ever heard this. It is a very specific and Lyme-specific type of vertigo called mal de embarkment. Have you ever heard of it? Absolutely not. Okay. Well, let me tell you about it because when I, I had it full on and I thought I was losing my mind. Um, but when I bring it up on Lyme forums, so many people are like, oh, yeah, I've definitely experienced that. Huh, okay. And. Um, you feel as if you are being sucked down to earth. Like you, every step you take, you have 50 pound weights on your feet. And it's not just that your limbs are heavy. Like I've experienced that too. No, it's different. It's like if you've ever been on one of those centri horrible centrifuge, centrifuge rides at the fair and you're <laughs> I, stuck I actually to avoid the those. <laughs> They're terrible. Oh my gosh. But that is, that's how I felt for two really? weeks straight. Like lying in bed, I felt the sensation of being sucked down and I couldn't walk. I mean, it was too strong to walk. And, so it's that's, called, and that's a neurological, your body's yes. interpreting its signals completely wrong. Apparently your body thinks it is on a cruise because <laughs> mal de embarkment is French for literally like poorness after a boat. Yeah. And that? so, yeah. Um, and so that's what, that's what led me. I, I had been to, I'm kind of skipping ahead, but I'd been to many doctors in Asheville at this point asking for Lyme test and of course was denied. And when this hit, I was like, you know, I, I, I walked into an emergency room clinic in New Hampshire. I knew to go back to New England. And I was like, I'm not leaving this clinic until you do the blood work. I will sit here forever. So they did the blood test for Lyme? Not without putting up a huge fight. A huge fight. They did not want to give me that blood test. Um, she told me that that doctor in the emergency room, she told me, um, well, your, your symptoms aren't typical. And also we don't really know about chronic Lyme. And also you obviously need deep psychological counseling. That was uh -huh. one of my favorites. Uh -huh. She also said, I know that you have a really hard time walking right now, but come back when you're crawling, which was, just, <laughs> I wouldn't believe this except I had brought my husband. Cause at this point I knew I had to bring someone or else, I wasn't going to get anywhere. Yeah. And so he, and then finally she says, look, I can give you this test. It's probably going to be a false. It's going to be a, a negative or a false negative. And if it's positive and I'm quoting her verbatim, if it's positive. Why do you want to know you live in the South and nobody will help you. And at that point, my, my husband piped in and was like, just give her the test. This is ridiculous. And she did. And two weeks later they called and they said very cheerfully, well, you have Lyme disease. It Yay. was positive. <laughs> wow. That's, yeah. yeah, something. What? 
I'm baffled and astonished and shocked and sad at that ER doc's response. And I can, I can only imagine that she's having a bad day or a bad week or a bad month. You know, they are human beings too, but that is just such non-professional. Yeah, it was, um, my, my mom says, look, it was like a, it, it wasn't the emergency room. It was this, you know, for-profit urgent care center next to the like Hubert's, which is this like boot store in West Lebanon, New Hampshire, which isn't New Hampshire's finest. So she said, yeah, you know, I mean, it's all nice up there, but, um, she said maybe she just doesn't love her job, but I mean, there's no, uh, the things that I would like to explain to that woman if I ever saw her again. (laughs) Well, it, anyway, it's it's brutal. It's brutal. I I did some volunteer work back in the dark ages in uh, ER in Dunwoody, Georgia, in a very affluent area, and the people who worked there were very. I I, I volunteered Sunday mornings, right when nobody else wanted to be around. Um, yeah, and they were very cynical because they they had this group of people who were addicted to pain medications or de- oh, addicted yeah. to drug pain and they would the, the, the current thing 20 some years ago was they would claim migraine headaches but they would also do things like break their own nose to get pain meds mm. so i i think you know these some of these docs see such strange things out on the fringes that that's their normal, you know? So when you get yeah. somebody coming in and, you know, it's this vague stuff and they're advocating for something, I think some of them just just collapse under the weight of cynicism that's been bred into them for for years in, in these really rough environments. But, but still, that's not an excuse. It's not really an excuse. There's just no excuse for not – I mean, come on, it's a blood test. Good yeah, a, the thing is, none of – I wasn't even hinting at, at needing pain medication because yeah. I I didn't at that point I didn't have any pain, right. you know. And I know I know not to I know not to you basically can't get pain medicine even when you need it actually down here. And I, I completely I understand that. Like I've read Dreamland, I've read all the books about that. I'm pretty educated about why doctors would be so reticent. But you know I wasn't asking for anything just just to see what's going on with my blood. Right, please run it. And I was right. <laughs> yeah, well, that, they don't, that, that doesn't matter. <laughs> uh-huh. Unfortunately. Yeah. So then, so, so now you've got your your positive test. You at least know kind of the direction to go. You've got these weird symptoms and lots of pain in, from time to time. Yep. What What yep. did you do? How did you attack your Lyme? I was lucky. Um, luck has been sort of a main force actually throughout this whole thing, believe it or not. I So as you mentioned, I write a blog called The Wilder Coast, and I've written it for 10 years. And a reader of mine who I had just moved to Asheville. I have just moved to Asheville now three years ago, but I'd been in Seattle previously for 11 years. And a blog reader of mine, she lives here in Asheville, and she she wanted to have coffee and meet up with me. And I said, that'd be great. And I was kind of telling her I wasn't feeling so good. This was long before the diagnosis. And she said to me, you know, if you end up getting diagnosed with Lyme disease, my six-year-old babysitter's life has been just derailed by Lyme disease. And this is her doctor. And it's hard to find doctors around here. They're very underground. So if you ever need this number, here it is. And so two months later, I got my diagnosis. I called the doctor that day and I saw her two days later. So you got in right so that's, away. That's amazing. I got in right away. Yep. And she works under Gemsic. Um, so okay, cool. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know at the time, you know, what a big name that was, but yep. So I was in her office two, two or three days later. It was really incredible timing. And, um, wow. Yeah. She just said to me, looks like you're, uh, your neurological system is on fire. I remember when she did the original 
um, just physical exam. Like there was just tremors everywhere. I was just like, she's like, even your tongue is tremoring. Wow. Cause I was so scared. I mean, yeah, I had a tremor and that was one of my symptoms, but I was just terrified. I was terrified, you know? And so, and so everything, I was just shaking and quaking and needing all of the pharmaceuticals to help me. And she just immediately got me set on the first course of antibiotics. This was, um, what, like seven months ago now. And she, but she also actually, we didn't just start on the antibiotics because she knew the Herx would probably be pretty rough. And so for about a few weeks, all we did was work to calm my symptoms down with like prescription, um, like an antidepressant and prescription panic medicine if I needed them. Didn't end up needing them after I saw her, but something to help me sleep, you know, just so I could like be in a calmer place and endure the treatment. Yeah. Wonderful. Now, here's a kind of a sideways question, but I know it's something that we wanted to talk about. You essentially spent your honeymoon honeymoon in the ER. And how did your husband deal with this? Well, so, you know, I, I got back from my honeymoon. I was pretty okay on my honeymoon. It was the minute I got back. It really was. Um, he, he was first trying to believe the doctors, he would come to my appointments and he would hear some of the doctors say, oh, you're just fine. You're just anxious and you're just depressed. And we would leave and I would turn to him like, can you believe I'm hearing this again? And he would go, well, the doctor said you're fine. You know, and he was doing that because he, he wanted me to be fine, of course. And, um, but I, I knew better. And by the time I got the Lyme results back, his sort of, um, his understanding had changed and he became just livid, livid at, at those doctors at sort of the dismissal. And it's, Oh, that's a, you know, I could answer that question in like a 10 part series because we've been through so many ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs. But, um, he was pretty bewildered for a long time. I mean, I was in like extreme pain and he's a fixer. He wants to be able to fix me and you know, he couldn't, Nothing can. That was really hard from him. Well, I shouldn't say nothing can. Usually getting in a bath fixes a lot of things or going swimming fixes things. Oh, really? Yes, yes. Um, getting in water, that's been, I call it the loophole. If I'm in cold water, and I love swimming holes, I'm always in swimming holes, every single one of my symptoms is gone when I'm swimming. And I have a lot of symptoms, and it's gone. And so I just spend as much time as I can swimming in rivers. That that's getting a little sidetracked, but that's been my. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, my gosh. It you, is. Because I. Sorry, go ahead. So I have a couple follow up questions with this, and then we can discuss it some more. Do you find the mm-hmm. same relief in a cold bathtub or cold shower? Um, so when I don't have a swimming hole handy, and when I'm up in Vermont, I go up to Vermont a lot. That's where I grew up. There are swimming holes everywhere. You know, you, there's no reason to not be in one. But here in Asheville, you got to drive a long way on winding roads, which you can't really handle into the mountains. So I have tried the cold shower and the cold bath. And they work, you know. There's it's not like, as good, um, though, right? Oh, no. No, it's not as good because, I mean, another part is psychological. When I'm out at a swimming hole, like I'm, I'm outside and I'm a little bit back to my former life, which was just constantly outside and, and uh, my husband's with me, and he's having a good time, too, and I'm always kind of hyper-aware of how he's doing. So when I'm in the bath, like, it, you know, it can the cold water can really be like a full-body numbing and anti-inflammatory, and that really helps. But usually, you know, as soon as I get out, kind of back to square one. But if you're out in a swimming hole, the results, the soothing lasts longer, yeah? Oh, Yeah. I mean, I, and I've been trying to tell every friend of mine with Lyme disease, I found the loophole. I mean, it's not the solution because unless we figure out a way to live underwater, <laughs> a business underwater, then, you know, we still have to figure this out. But, um, well, there may, but find, Go find ahead. a swimming hole, find, find cold water, get in there and like cold living fresh water. It is so healing and you'll feel so much better. And then like jump in there, get really cold and then put yourself out onto, in, onto the sun, onto the rocks and get really hot, go back in and repeat 
for the rest of the day and you will feel like a million bucks. So this is fascinating to me for a couple of reasons. And here I'm going to get a little bit into science. Yes. The first, so I think obviously the psychological thing is huge. And part of that, there, there are certain people who in nature, their brain just gets into a flow state and so they get very calm, they get very focused, their brain gets organized and just they in this wonderful state. So you probably, given your story or that type of person anyway, it's just like nature just does it for you. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's other ways to get in the flow. Some people are extreme sports people, so like they need the adrenaline, they need the focus, and that's how they get into that state. So they're jumping out of airplanes and bungee jumping and you know helicopter skiing and all that kind of crazy stuff, giant wave surfing, those kind of people. Then there is a group who gets this flow state when they're around people. And these people with Lyme disease really suffer because when you're so neurologically inflamed, you want to withdraw. So they're, they yep. have to kind of stay away from what nourishes them. So those people can particularly suffer and need, need to find a way to stay connected in some small way and in, in small doses. And then the last mm-hmm. group, and this group is the largest group, and my bet is they haven't quite figured out a couple more subsections of this, are people who get into this flow state being quiet and be by themselves. So either taking just a quiet walk by themselves or reading by themselves, but just quiet time where the the stimulation is less and their brains can, can get in that state. So that's number one. So there is the flow state kind of thing, which just it's it's a little more than psychological because there's a physiological base to it, but it's it's a, definitely a psychological state. the The next thing is the Earth has an infinite mild negative charge. And I yes. have done a podcast on earthing and being submerged in water, a great conductor, especially natural water that's got all the minerals in it. It's an incredible conductor. I mean, I've, I've touched our electric fence when my feet were in the creek and my, my fillings like exploded on me. It's, it's, a, it's a memorable oh. event. But you've got this yes. infinite and, and inflammation's positive. So you're actually, it's a massively anti-inflammatory treatment to be in a natural swimming hole like this or in the you know the same holds true for ocean water so forth and so on but to be in the water like that so that's and then i'm reading this interesting work man's name is gerald pollock and he's done some work on how water organizes itself and how that works inside the body and with cells and this alternating cold and then into the sunshine, into the warmth actually will help the body recharge and the cells work better at a very basic fundamental bioelectric level. So you're doing all these positive things. And then you've got the normal, you know, just cool weather, just cool. I mean, cold water, cooling down some inflammation, so forth and so on. But there's all these levels that you're doing there. So I think it's, your loophole has a solid scientific basis for it. So it's so cool that you're bringing this up. Yeah. 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 I mean, I could, um, I, I feel all of that. Like I feel the recharging. It really does. The sky and recharging, especially when I'm lying on the rocks, like a sun warm rock and then jumping back in. Yeah. It's been, um, it's been a game changer for sure. That's so great. I love natural ways of, of healing that are easy, cheap, affordable. Anybody can do it and, and really work. Well, let's, let's continue on that, on that vein. Cause I know you wanted to bring out like your angels or what did you call them? Your support. The support. With oh God. Something like that. So I do have angels. Do you want to, yeah. <laughs> do you want to, do you want to start with, the, what did you want to bring up about that? Um, well, how important that role is with well, the stress that the spouse has. I wanted to talk about how I believe, well, gosh, just so much, forgive me, but, um, I believe that one of the reasons that I've had this, I've had a huge outpouring of support in all different ways. And I think that, um, and that's been just so helpful for me so helpful like this is an isolating disease and I've experienced that but 
on the, you know, on the other side, it's also been this, like, it's opened this chasm in my life. And like, there's just been this huge outpouring of love and support. And I think one reason, one of the main reasons besides luck is that I write openly about it, about just how hard, how hard it is for my husband and I to have to deal with this, especially in our first year of marriage. And I don't, I mean, there are a few things I keep off the blog because my parents read it and I just want to save them some, you know, learning some agonizing things. But I really put like the dark stuff out there and people, but not in, you know, not in a self-pitying way. I don't want pity. Nobody wants pity, you know, but just kind of matter of fact, like this is what it's like. This is how it's been. And because I've had this platform, this the Wilder Coast platform and my Instagram, for, I've had the blog for 10 years. Um, People are really aware and people have been like pouring in with care packages, with donations, with these events that people have thrown for me. I mean, it's, I think it sets my story apart, although I wish, I wish every single person with Lyme disease could experience it as well. That level of support. That level of support and people being really curious, trying to, you know, like, asking me lots of questions and trying to learn more. Now, definitely. Do you think the writing in and of itself is valuable? Do you mean like, is it therapeutic for me to write it? Yeah. Yeah, Probably. Um, I, I went to school for writing and I'm a, you know, journalist before I got sick, I was a journalist. So I really do look at it as a job. Um, and, Gosh, I thought about that. If I go for a long time without writing, I do start to feel really weird because I've, you know, I've gone weeks where I was too sick really to write, or I didn't know because I, I always want my writing to be kind of um, a little bit uplifting, and there were weeks when I couldn't do that. That would have been totally fabricated. Um, but overall, I think I do have a, a, you know, a pretty good sense of well-being after like putting out a blog post that I think is accurate. So, you know, a little bit. It's not as therapeutic as just writing it all out in a journal, writing exactly what you mean, you know, that only you are going to read. It's different than that. And it, because you're you're writing for an audience, yeah. You're writing for an audience. You're very aware that your in-laws are going to read it. <laughs> that, um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and And I'm also very aware that a lot of other people with Lyme disease are reading it. And so... You know, I have I had a journal when I was first diagnosed when I, when the interstitial cystitis pain kept me up. That's dark, you know. Like I I would write I don't I can't live with this pain. So we either got to figure it out or I'm not going to live with it. But I wouldn't write that. And now I'm saying it, of course, on a podcast. But I wouldn't write anything like that on my blog because I don't want to scare the pants out of anyone who's maybe just been diagnosed. So do you still keep a journal? And you don't have to tell me what's in your journal. Do you still keep a journal that's separate from no. this? No, no, <laughs> I don't. And I, I kept one my whole life in fourth or third grade up till college, and then I stopped. And I only just started again, kind of out of desperation, those nights when I couldn't sleep. And um, things have not been that bad since. Like the IC pain has really gone away. That's what I just couldn't handle. Um, but no, I usually just keep. I write so much on the blog, and also a lot of email correspondence with a lot of Lyme patients and also just my job. I don't feel like, I feel like just doing anything else at the end of the day. But you did there for a while. I'm kind of curious that you did it for a while. And then once the crisis passed, you were able to let that go. Yes, exactly. I think you put it very well. Yeah. Cool. That's interesting. Yeah. I think there's something about writing and getting the words out on the paper in front of you that creates some separation and gives you ability to, it's almost meditative where you're beginning to create an observer and you're not quite as caught up in the immediate pain, the immediate suffering, the immediate angst that can be there. And you can begin to, to, to generate that observer and to generate some space. Well, in that way, yes. In that way, writing is very therapeutic because it, it does add this level of detachment. I mean, in some ways, I think people fighting Lyme should create their own video games yes. of like the Spyro, the Spirochete Slasher so that they can sort of like remove themselves just a little bit. I want to develop one. I totally do. I think we need one. There's one for cancer. Do you know that? 
Yep. Yes, I heard it on a TED, to- uh, some sort of TED talk, I think. Yeah. And and there's one called an app called Super Better, where you sort of it can exactly. be for anything, but that's the yeah, same. that's the people, that's the people. And I haven't anyway. I haven't got them on the podcast, and I haven't contacted contacted them about creating a a Lime version. But that's what's got the you know these. I don't know how isolated you are. We live in a little town with historic markers. So starting about 10 days ago, two weeks ago, these people with black socks and sandals started showing up with their phones all over town catching Pokemon, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like they just mm-hmm. came out, They literally came out of their basements. It was unbelievable. But, oh, yeah. Right? It's great. So, so you have these, you know, and, and I'm making fun of them a little bit, but people who tend to be a little bit more on the antisocial side of things. And I have a daughter like that, so I you know, have a lot of sympathy for people like that. And they're just very comfortable by themselves, you know, not not adept socially. And they're out capturing Pokemons because the brain, it just needs a little win. And it can be a art, quote-unquote artificial win, like taking a picture on a street corner with a little Pokemon thing in there. And your brain gets a little, a little boost from that. And the, in order to be healthy, your brain needs that. It needs some wins. And when you're down in the depths of Lyme disease, you, there are no wins around, right? Unless you can reframe okay. brushing yeah. your teeth is like, yeah, you know, in champion music, I brush yeah. my teeth today. Right. But that takes yeah. some willpower too. And there might not be any left. You know, so right. so having a little oh, yeah. game like that artificially begins to recreate some of the beneficial brain chemicals and can start a positive feedback loop doing that. And so we absolutely need something like that for for Lyme disease. So if anybody's out there, a programmer, go go for it. Actually, um, there is a, and I won't be able to give you too much information, but my friend here with Lyme disease, her twin sister. Just one. Do you know about the Lyme Hackathon that was just happening I'd heard in Boston? About that. Yep. Yeah. Well, she won first place. Her and her team, and their idea is very similar to that. Although the point is to it's very like much like super better. The point is to really track your symptoms and track what you're doing, and try to see a correlation. Okay. But it has to be designed for Lyme disease. It has to be designed for people who are taking 30, 50 medications and have two hundred different symptoms, you know, but they, they talked to me, you know, like as a beta tester. And I said, well, as long as those little buttons did like, I'm like, power up. Now you're on the next level. I would be totally into it. You know, it's like, interesting. It's, but that, but that's, yeah. Well, if they can incorporate the two, that'd be fantastic. Right. I mean, if that's very different, but it's, you know, they, they did talk about the gaming aspect of it a little different, but I have my own game that play. And this kind of goes back to you were asking me about how it's been on my relationship with my husband. And it's been really, it's been really hard. I mean, we were both, he was like this, you know, crazy whitewater kayaker and I was this big rock climber. And that's what we did. And that's, I mean, we've never done anything else. We've never gone to a movie and we've never gone to a museum. We don't really know what to do. We're not active. And so in this past year, he's been so warm and so loving and just so kind. I can't work. He's making a little money. He's going to night school to get his real estate license. He's been a saint. But he has a, he's having a really hard time with this lack of adventure. He calls it, we don't have any, you know, it's not fun. Right. We're not having fun anymore. So he might be like a little more on the flow side of things. He needs that adrenaline thing. He does, and I used to be that way too. But I've had to, uh, you know, I've had to adapt. Yeah. So I don't exactly. think I need that anymore. But um, but he hasn't had to adapt. But he has. He did have shoulder surgery this year. The day I started treatment, he went in for shoulder surgery. So he's been out from his whitewater kayaking the whole time oh, too. Oh no, poor guy. Yeah. So so what I've started to do, I've always loved photography. But anytime we do something fun that I consider fun, whether it's like a swimming hole or a short hike or a trip out of town or whatever, I document, I take pictures all the time. And then I make those pictures into books. And that is evidence to me. And it feels like, uh, it feels like I'm Pokemon hunting. I'm totally just hunting. Is. Yeah. I'm just taking pictures of all the like fun things that we're doing and I make them into books. And so when he says we don't have adventures anymore, I say, well, look at these. What about this? Most people would consider, <laughs> most people would consider these adventures. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not as big as they used to be, but right. they're still what we can do. That's very yeah. cool. I love that idea too. So, I mean, one of the things about writing is it does take a little bit of, you know, even if you're 
willing to write sloppily, but it does take some brain energy to do that. And if you don't have that, anybody can press a button. Almost everybody. That's correct. Right? So that's so cool. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would recommend. Okay. Let's, we're coming to the end here. And I want to ask you two questions. The first is about your blog. Can you give the URL, URL, the address for it, the web address for it, and any other contact information you want to share? The blog is thewildercoast.com. And um, I really love getting emails from my readers, especially those who are in the stages of either being diagnosed with or, you know, 10 years in, doesn't matter, to Lyme disease. And that email, you can find it on the blog, but it's just thewildercoast at gmail.com. And then um, really quick, I have two Instagram accounts. One is the Wilder Coast, and then one is called the Glowery. Um, and that is What's all. That? that is purely. So when I got sick, I started looking for websites that would help me, but not scare me. And I could not find one. Hmm. And so I created one. And it's this Instagram account, The Glory, and it is only uplifting positive things that you can do if you're chronically ill, especially if you have Lyme disease. It's like I'm all about the juicing, the diet, the acupuncture, all of it. I've tried all of it. And I document it all there in a way that's like supposed to be helpful, uplifting, encouraging, and none of it is, is triggering. Wow. I have to check that one out. And then my next question is... And you may have already answered this with the swimming hole thing, but what what is your go to treatment, quote unquote, for Lyme disease? What have you mm-hmm. found most helpful when things really fell apart there? Well, of course, swimming, but you can't do that in the in the spring or the winter, the fall. So. You know, obviously, I have a bucket filled with medication. Um, so that's helping. Antibiotics are helping. The herbs are helping. Um, but here's what I would recommend in terms of like a holistic approach. Uh, can I say more than one? I'll go fast. Yes, of course you can. <laughs> okay. Um, acupuncture. Acupuncture is what took away my interstitial cystitis pain and helped me. Um, I couldn't move with that pain and she took it away and she, she's my angel, my acupuncturist. You know, I go see her every single week. She relieves pain. She helps me with herbs. I just cannot recommend acupuncture enough. And it is not, those sessions are not pleasant. They are so painful because so much is being released, but um, definitely that. Another thing that I recommend, and I did this all all spring and all winter is I just put on a podcast. I really hate the feeling that, you know, my life is stagnant. I'm not learning anything. I'm not going to school. I'm not working. So podcasts, if you just listen to a podcast, whatever it is, you're learning something and um, you feel a little more energized. So let's stop there. This isn't just a gratuitous chance to plug me, but what did you listen to? Well, certainly I listened to you and that was really helpful. Um, But I also listened to um, just your normal, like I loved, I'm really curious about why this is all happening to me. Like, I think Lyme is evil, but fascinating and smart. And so I started listening to podcasts like uh, Radio Lab. And honestly, sometimes I would just search by subject, so I'm not even sure what the podcast okay. was. But um, And I love Radio Lab because it really gets into some really cool science stuff. And I love Snap Judgment because it's just full of stories that will take you far, far away from where you are <laughs> and also give you some, give you something to talk about at the end of the day. Like I, my husband can't stand hearing about Lyme disease anymore. And I don't, I don't blame him. It's been a year if that's all I want to talk about. So I listen to these podcasts and then I have other people's stories. And so I listen to them while I walk my dog and I know some people aren't walking that, you know, that much, but, um, I have not been bed bound with Lyme. So I've been able to just walk and walk and walk and listen. And then the, my last thing would be jet by a juicer because I juice like three times a day and I credit it for the energy that I have. Yeah. Do you do green juice? What kind of juice do you do? 
Oh, yeah. I don't put any fruit in it at all. Um, I think you sort of lose your taste for fruit once you start drinking green juice. But um, I, it, you know, if you're nauseous, juice a lot of ginger. That's what I'm drinking right now, actually. Juice a lot of fennel. That helps with muscle spasms. I mean, there's just really no vegetable or no part of the vegetable that you can't just put through a juicer and drink. And it's like a heroin hit of minerals in your blood. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. I've heard a, a bit in terms of being highly nutritious, but not a heroin hit of minerals. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's great. I mean, there's so much. Honestly, that's why I started the Glory. There's so much that I would recommend because so much has helped me. Um, and but th- I guess those would probably be my top three. All right, fantastic. W- one last question. This is a personal little rabbit hole I'm going down. Have you ever had an MRI? No. So I'm supposed to have an MRI September 14th. And I made that appointment um, like four months ago, but there was only one Lyme literate doctor, Lyme literate neurologist that we knew of. And she's up in Boone, which is like two, three hours away in the mountains. And yeah, so I'm waiting for that appointment. Here's why I ask. I am wondering, and I've been trying to ask around the Facebook community about people's experience who have Lyme disease and MRIs. I'm wondering if the magnetic field from the MRI can disrupt the biofilm enough, kind of like jiggle it because the the magnet Uh makes everything line up. And if the magnet's strong enough to to shift the polarity of the molecules in the biofilm so that when it kind of springs back, it gives a chance for the immune system to gobble up some of the proteins. And there's a paper out of Ohio State saying that if you can get a few of the chinks out of the biofilm armor, it's like Jenga, the, eventually the the tower comes tumbling down. Um, so there, there's this phase transition that if you get a few of these kind of loose proteins at the edge of the biofilm, the whole thing collapses. Yeah. So I'm, I'm fascinated if that doesn't disrupt the biofilm enough. So, you know, there hasn't been a lot of encouraging stories back, but I'd love to hear from you. So basically what would happen is sure. sometime shortly after the MRI, you'd herx. Well, uh, let me tell you that I, that will not be my first experience with magnets. I did a month, one hour every day of pulsed electromagnetic frequency, PMS. Yep. And in four weeks, I'm about to start um, magnetic biomagnetic pairing therapy, which a lot of my friends have, have claimed have put them into complete remission. So I am definitely trying to use the magnets here, but um, never heard about that MRI theory. I'll definitely let you know. Yeah, just my thinking on that. No, I know some people have done magnets, but that's about the strongest magnet I could think of that people use regularly. Yeah. So I know yeah. just pure speculation. I'm very curious, though. Yeah, I'll let you know. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. All right. It's been terrific talking to you. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. Thank you. I... Loved this interview. It was great listening to her. She had a lot of good things to say, but there's something that happened in the beginning of this interview that has not happened to me for a while. And she, it was when she was telling, she was telling the story of how she was trying to get a Lyme diagnosis and her doc, she went into the doctor's office and her doctor said, you're the healthiest person I have seen all week. That's crazy, isn't it? It's really crazy. And with an attitude like that, you know, there's that statistic that it takes two years for Lyme disease to get diagnosed. And within, with, when, when somebody comes in worried about how they're feeling and they get that response, uh, it, it, that statistic that it takes two years to diagnose isn't surprising to me anymore. You know, in general, I try to defend physicians because I know they're overworked, they're overstressed, and it's hard keeping up with all the different diseases that are popping up all over the place and with the latest medical research because they're working 12-hour days, they're exhausted, Mm -hmm. and they have families and so forth and so on. But sometimes it's just really tough to make an excuse for them, and this is one of those cases. You know, it's like they're just not – sometimes they just don't do their job. And being on the front lines, a family physician, 
They just, they need to be better. They need to get better. They need to have better diagnostic skills. They have, need to be more sympathetic. You know, I, I had food poisoning three weeks ago. And in some ways, I'm always thankful when I get a little sick or have some pain as a reminder to what it's like to be a patient because it's so easy to forget. You just rush around from patient to patient, or in my case, don't rush, but go from patient to patient every day. Uh, and you forget what it's like on the other side of the table, what it's like on the other side of the needle, in my case, in acupuncture. And mm-hmm. life can be absolutely miserable. And to simply say, ah, you look wonderful, is just so, so terrible. You know, and this reminds me also, this interview, Melina reminded me of Katie Polk that I interviewed a while back. Do you remember her? Yes, the Marine. She was a Marine and she was into all kinds of extreme sports and doing crazy stuff. And Lyme disease just brought her to a full stop. And Mm -hmm. really, she's finding her way back and reinventing herself and rediscovering what she can do. And that's another great interview, same sort of theme there. And that's episode number 47, if you want to go back there and listen to it. Uh, It's a fantastic interview. And just a reminder, we're... Next episode is going to be published on Tuesday. And before that happens, don't forget to sign up for our contest. Woohoo! Contest. To, to celebrate our 100th episode. Exactly. LimeNinjaRadio.com front slash contest. Just give us your name and email address, and we'll enter you for some super, super prizes. I think you're going to like what we've put together for you. And it's free, so what's not to like? Exactly. If you like Lime Ninja Radio, and you must because you're still listening to us, to <laughs> wackos, just click on over to iTunes and leave us a review. We love to hear from you, and we'll read them on the show, like this one. Like this one. Here is a review from Mila Bon. I absolutely love this podcast. Lime Ninja Radio is truly a blessing. Smiley face. Big smiley face. <laughs> Short and to the point. Thank you, Aurora, and thank you, Mila. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast, other podcasts, but not this one, would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know when a ninja throws a boomerang, it doesn't come back? Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique, and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.